0: Coming up today on Abounding Grace. You'll find this this truth so many places where God is more interested in your obedience. He's more interested in your intimate relationship with Him. He's more interested in you following Him than you doing things for Him. He's more concerned with who you are than what you do. He's more concerned for relationship than He is our rituals and our religious actions. It's who you are and not what we do. And the thing that God is interested in is our submission to his lordship and authority in our lives.
1: This is amazing grace. friend, glad to have you with us for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're in 2 Kings 12 today. You can probably think of an example of someone you know that started well but didn't finish so well. Sadly, that's very common and a pattern we've seen through the ages, and we'll see that in the life of a king today. Let's see what we can take away from this.
0: 2 Kings chapter 12 in a Bible study that I've entitled It's Important to Finish Well. It's important to finish well. In our last study, in our last chapter, we met this young King Joash, or here Jehoash, who is protected as an infant and presented as king at the ripe age of seven. those of you with seven-year-olds in your house, can you imagine your seven-year-old being the president of the United States at seven? But that's God's will for Joash. And God was working behind the scenes to accomplish his will upon the throne of Judah. And we were reminded that we don't always see the hand of God in our lives. We don't always see how the pieces are being put together. We don't always understand every circumstance and every situation, every difficulty, every joy. We're unable, with the information that we have, to put the pieces together like a puzzle and be able to see what it is that God is doing. But He's working behind the scenes. The problem with God working behind the scenes often is that it frustrates us that we don't know exactly what He's doing. It leads to great frustration, and frustration will often lead to impatience. And impatience will lead to bad decisions if we choose not to wait on God. And that's exactly when impatience comes in, is when we choose not to wait on God. But to figure out, if we will, the picture and what the puzzle piece means, and God must be doing this, and he's probably doing that. And we learn with Joash, in God's perfect timing, Athaliah was removed. Baal worship was destroyed somewhat, and a recommitment to God and his word happened. But it took time. It took time of waiting and not knowing what was happening behind the scenes. And the longer that we wait in seeming darkness on a situation, the more tempted we are to fill that emptiness with our vain imaginations. And this must be what God is doing, or God has forgotten me, or God doesn't know what He's doing. And we become impatient with our mismatched, you know, we often speak about having wrong expectations as one another, and that's often the case. But have you ever considered that you might have wrong expectations of God? And when something doesn't happen your way, you get mad at God because you had the wrong expectation. It's so encouraging to think that God, while he's working behind the scenes, when he does begin to reveal his will and tides turn, how fast it seems. It makes all the waiting like, oh, I don't even know how long I was waiting because God's at work. And we're so excited to embrace the work of God when we see it happening. And I know waiting on him can seem like forever, but when he does act, it makes the waiting worth it. And it makes the waiting just so encouraging to look back and say, I am so happy God enabled me to wait by faith. Jot it down in Psalm 147, verse 15. It says that he sends out his command to the earth, and his word runs very swiftly. His word runs very swiftly. And I love that. Pick up with me in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 12. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash, or in some translations, Joash, they're both the same, he became king and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. But the high places were not taken away And the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Joash was a good king. And he's known as doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's a great description for any of our lives. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. As long as Jehoiada was giving him insight and direction. Because remember, you know, ruling as a seven-year-old, he wasn't making all the decisions. You know, cookies for everyone. That wasn't Joash. He had handlers, he had mature elders that were giving him advice and under his authority as a proxy, Joash being the rightful king uh, was being instructed and helped along the way. So as long as Jehoiada, Jehoiada, the priest instructed him, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And yet in verse 3, it's a discouraging verse. Because the word but here is not good. It's similar to the word nevertheless. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord as long as Jehoiada instructed him, but the high places were not taken away. And the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Idol worship was not completely destroyed, there was still compromise, still allowing different high places to be places of worship instead of the temple. Now remember, Joash, when he was just seven years old, what came to rule, so most of his leadership was from Jehoiada. And yet part of their leadership was not to completely obey God. Let me show you something. Would you turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15? Because this is always a problem for us, church, incomplete obedience— with all the power of God residing within us, even as we were talking today as a staff, that God is working in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. With the very presence of the Holy Spirit in us, and we are born again, new creations in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Even with instruction in God's word, revelation from God, illumination by the Holy Spirit, The ability to understand, help from other believers, Bible study in our churches, radio stations teaching us, earbuds filling our heads with music that praises God. In every conceivable way, we're reminded of the faithfulness of God, and yet there's still incomplete obedience among us. A failure to go all the way what some call incomplete obedience. Others you might be familiar with incomplete obedience as compromise. Compromise. We see this so clearly in 1 Samuel chapter 15 in the life of King Saul, a few kings back. And in the life of King Saul, notice with me in verse 3 of 1 Samuel 15, the command is go and attack Amalek, utterly destroy all that they have, And do not spare them. And notice in verse 3 the key word all. And if you look it up in context in the Hebrew and the Greek, all almost always means some. No, 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 it's actually not. It actually, in context, almost always means all. And that's what it means here. Kill both man and woman, infant, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. And so Saul gathered the people together, numbered them in Taleim. 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men, and Saul came to the city of Amalek, and they wait, in lie, in, they wait, lie in wait in the valley. Verse 9. But Saul and the people, circle this word, spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and the best of the oxen, and the best of the fatlings, and the best of the lambs, And all that was good. Did you guys notice that? And they were, what does your Bible say? Say it out loud. They were unwilling. They were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Everything despised and worthless. Everything that was assessed by King Saul. Everything that was unwanted. Everything that you wanted to put on the garage sale. By the way, garage sales trip me out, don't they? Trip you out? You spend all this money for stuff, and then you gather together, you put it in front of your garage, and you sell it for 20 cents. Everything that you'd put in a garage sale, King Saul destroyed. But everything he obsessed value on, he kept. He spared. Or the Bible says he was unwilling to utterly destroy Everything he assessed value on. Everything that the people assessed value on. And even under his leadership. Which puts the contrast here of what do you value? What do you place value on, church? What's important to you? Because if you and I choose not to place a value on what God says over and above our own value statements we're going to make the same mistake King Saul did. He was given a command, very clear, which he very clearly disobeyed because he valued his own opinions and his own assessments over the value of exactly what God said to do. And it led him to compromise. He spared the king and all the best, the best, the best, everything that he thought was good. And that led him to unwillingly, to, he was unwilling to utterly destroy them here is the king of the flesh, Agag, spared by Saul. And King Saul decided to do things his own way. And those of you that studied with us, you know that this was another episode in his life of doing things his way. He did not wipe out the descendants of Amalek, or we know them commonly as the Amalekites. He did not wipe them out as he was told to do. They remained through the history of Israel thorn in their side, With David and even on into the book of Esther because of this failure. And in serving God, serving God acceptably involves doing the will of God, not our own. We're to do the will of God the right way, in the right timing, with the right motives, with the right power source. God had given Saul another chance, and King Saul blew it again. Now, don't think of these in the life of King Saul as a bunch of random mistakes in his life. King Saul, through the random mistakes in his life, or what's perceived to be, had deep character flaws in his life. And it was through this repetitive, sinful mistakes in his life that revealed the character flaws that he was unwilling to bring to God for resolution. And Samuel, well, he knew of the sin of Saul even before they returned. And so pick up with me in verse 17. Uh, Really, verse 10. (laughs) Now, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king, for he turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Let me just say, any true spiritual leader... When he's faced with spiritual and moral failure in his church or moral failure in his family or moral failure in the leadership, it always grieves a true spiritual leader. It's a grieving process. It's like, this isn't right. It's something has died in the church. It's not the heart of God. He he rises up early in the morning, Verse 12 to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he's gone around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. And then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. By the way, we don't have time to develop this, but many times when a person sins, uh, even a spiritual leader sins, and he wants to cover up his sin, he sounds super spiritual. King Saul sounds super spiritual. Blessed are you, Samuel. Blessed are you in the name of the Lord, man. And he says, "I have performed the commandment of the Lord." True or false? false? False. But he was convinced that he had. Verse fourteen. Samuel said, "What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear?" And Saul said, "Oh, they have brought them from the Amalekites." For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. And the rest we've utterly destroyed. And Samuel said to to Saul, Shut up. Now it says be quiet, but that, that would be the paraphrase on our modern day. Be quiet. And I tell you that the Lord said to me last night, and he said, Speak on. And Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, when you were not the, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission. Notice it said a mission. Not, not just any mission, not few missions. He had a specific mission, a specific thing to do. It was very clear. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. All of them. Completely. That was a mission. And said, and he described it. Destroy the sinners fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not avoid, obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil to do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission, not a mission, but the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites." Here he is explaining to Samuel, the prophet, who's already had a conversation with God, has what we, would con- what we would consider the manifestation of the discerning of spirits, insight on a situation that's supernaturally revealed. In this case, Samuel had a conversation with God. God told him exactly what was going on. So here they are in this conversation, and look at what King Saul is doing. As he responds to defend himself, he says, I have Agag. I've completely obeyed it, God. I have Agag here, and I've destroyed the Amalekites. And here he is, fully convinced in his own mind that he has obeyed God with the evidence ever before him, which is a warning to every one of us that the worst deception there is is self deception. You know, as painful as it is for someone to lie to you or deceive you, and that is super painful. It's worse with self-deception. The evidence is, and he's admitting to the evidence, but not admitting to the sin. That's how far he is. And he blames the people because that's always the case. It's someone else's fault. He says in verse 21, the people took of the plunder, the sheep, oxen, best of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed. Another statement of fact that he's using to defend his sinful compromise. So they, they should have utterly destroyed them, but, you know, we're going to sacrifice with them anyway in Gilgal. And here's what Samuel said. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in, in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is... Is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. What is God's delight, sacrifice or obedience? It's always obedience. What does that mean in today's, uh, you know, in our thinking today? Well, you could be here praying. You could be here singing. You could be here studying the Bible. You could be here taking notes. You can be very involved in in many spiritual activities. But if your spiritual activities are superseding your obedience to God, it's better for you to get up and leave. It would be better for this room to be empty, for the world to be filled with obedient Christians than fake compromising believers who put on a face that they're one thing, but living disobedient lives. That's what it means today. It means that it's better to do what's in front of you thoroughly, obedient and unto the Lord, than to surround your life with spiritual activity, to surround your life with all kinds of outward actions where you have the appearance of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. It's better to obey, church, than to go through sacrificial moments. It's better to obey than to outwardly appear that you're obeying. It's better to do the right thing. The important thing to know in the scriptures, and you'll find this all throughout parallel passages. All over, this will find, you'll find this, this truth so many places where God is more interested in your obedience. He's more interested in your intimate relationship with Him. He's more in- interested in you following Him than you doing things for Him. He's more concerned with who you are than what you do. He's more concerned for relationship than He is our rituals and our religious actions. It's who you are and not what we do. And the thing that God is interested in is our submission to His lordship and authority in our lives. He's interested in us. It says in Psalm 51 verse 16, in that psalm of repentance, he says, "For you do not desire this is 51:16. You do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it." You don't delight in burnt offering because the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And God will be more pleased with your attitude and brokenness towards him than your offerings and your sacrifice. Too many people have tried to sort of bribe God with their activity and their actions, and maybe even bribe themselves. They have that sense of the more I do good works the more favor I will find with God. And, and yet, God isn't looking for the outward behavior to cover up the inward corruption. He just wants you. He desires us. He desires us to live for him and to live with him and to enjoy him and to talk to him and to receive from him and to be moved and motivated by him. Not to play outward compromising games And perhaps it's from the Lord tonight that you take this section in 1 Samuel 15 and just meditate on the insights that King King Saul reveals to us. Because if we come back to 2 Kings chapter 12, you notice this idea of he did right in the sight of the Lord, but he let things continue on. He did right in the sight of the Lord, but he allowed these high places— He stopped one form of false worship but allowed three others. And it's not a good thing for us to be partially obedient. It's not a good thing for you to go, well, at least I tried. When at the same time, you could have delivered. As I've often taught my kids as they were growing up and extended it to our church family, it's just a simple little thought. Trying is not doing. And so when you find yourself using the language of trying, you're just simply reflecting
1: you aren't doing. We've been looking at the Old Testament book of 2 Kings here on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. And if you missed any portion, you can simply go online to calvaryaurora.org. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Load the messages onto your mobile device and listen at the gym, in the car, or wherever you go. Just go to CalvaryAurora.org or look for Abounding Grace Radio in iTunes. You can also get our app. It's available on all platforms. This is another way to hear our program. Search for Calvary Aurora. What is the key that unlocks God's blessings? In a word, grace. That's the emphasis in Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything. In it, he explores the mystery of grace and reveals why we can never grow in grace by our own efforts. It comes from the Lord. We'd like to send you a copy of Why Grace Changes Everything for your gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on this station and others like it. Call 877-30-GRACE. Or make a secure donation online at CalvaryAurora.org. If you'd rather write, our mailing address is Abounding Grace 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. We'll return to Second Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is Amazing Grace. with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.